Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Everybody, episode eight. Aaron Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun. It's our sports podcast. It is Monday, Junior. February 5th, 2024. I hope everybody's doing well. Hope everybody had a great first weekend in forever. Without any football, a lot of college basketball, I guess the Pro Bowl games sort of count, but still, no football means nothing on this show because we got ourselves a jam-packed Monday, February 5th edition of the Air Tours Pond. Here's what you need to know about today's show. We're going to open. I thought there was a very interesting story that broke Friday. NCAA kind of at a crosshairs. We're in this NIL portal world. The NCAA old school rules don't really work. And on Friday, I think we got our first piece of definitive proof that the NCAA is not here for the long haul and that major changes to the structure of college sports are coming. From there, we'll take a quick break. We're going to come back and it's all college hoops from there. No college football on today's show. We're talking the busy Weekend of college hoops, four matchups of top 10 opponents. We're going to talk about Tennessee smacking Kentucky. I think Kentucky's got a big issue, but it's not the one that you think. I think we're all sleeping on Tennessee. We're going to talk about Carolina. I thought UConn, even though they did not face an elite opponent in St. John's, had maybe their best win of the year. And I think that college basketball landscape is starting to take shape. UConn's number one, but I think we know who is number two behind them. I'm going to explain it all. It is just, I don't even know what else there is to say. It's a jam-packed show, a busy show, not a super long show, not one of these, uh, uh, you know, October and September shows that's an hour and 15 minutes long. No, 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 no. We're going to be quick. We're going to be efficient. We're going to be to the point. And so with that said, there is no more time to waste. And let's get to... The topic of the day. And the topic of the day, listen, we're going to get to college hoops. This was the first great weekend that we've had in college hoops in a while. Four matchups, top 10 teams. As I just told you, we're going to do all that in about 10 or 15 minutes from now. But on Friday, we saw a story that really caught my attention and I think is really important about the present and future of college sports. Listen, if you love, if, if you listen to this show, We know that you love college sports, but I think we also understand that whatever was college sports, even two, three, four, five, six years ago, it ain't going to be what it is in the future. 
NIL has changed things. The portal has changed things. And every time the NCAA tries to step up and make a rule, they get squashed like a bug in the court of law. And so over the last couple weeks and months, I think we've been trying to figure out, okay, what is the new version of college sports? What is it going to look like? And I actually thought last week was kind of an important week to indicate that whatever college sports was, it isn't going to be what it is going forward. And it's because of what happened at the University of Tennessee. Now, we talked about it on Wednesday's show, but Tennessee, of course, was hit with a, a, I don't even know if it was even the notice of allegations, but essentially we got a report that the NCAA is coming after Tennessee for rules violations as it pertains to NIL. And if you listen to this show last week, Tennessee basically gave two double birds to the NCAA and said, we ain't listening to anything that you say. We were fair. We were reasonable. We worked with you during the Jeremy Pruitt fiasco two, three, four years ago. But hey, we can't follow rules that don't exist. And we aren't taking responsibility for anything that you think happened here as it pertained to NIL. And so again, I think what that said and what it speaks about in the bigger picture is that the old school NCA rulebook, it's just not going to work in this portal era. Nobody knows. By the way, I, it's important to note, okay? This isn't just a you thing. It's not just a me thing. It's not just a media thing. It's not just a fan thing. I'm talking about people in the highest levels of college sports. I'm talking about coaches that get paid millions, assistant coaches, administrators. Nobody really knows in the current landscape what is a violation and what isn't. I'll take it a step further. I don't think the NCAA really fundamentally understands what is going on on campuses. I think in a perfect world, they still think of NIL as name image likeness, what we thought it was going to be six, seven, eight, ten 10 years ago. And they think, oh, you know, Johnny Smith, oh, Aaron Torres, he's a backup forward on the UConn basketball team, even though I'm only 5'10". Somehow I'm a forward. I throw elbows, whatever. And oh, Aaron Torres, he's a backup forward, plays for UConn, and he's going to go down to the pizza shop, and he's going to post on Instagram, and they're going to pay him 150 bucks, and he's going to get a free pizza, and everybody's going to be happy. And I think that's how the NCAA thinks NIL is working. I don't think they understand that we have these things called collectives. I don't think they understand that we have high school recruits getting six figures before they've ever played a college football or basketball game. I don't think they know that we have transfers as fifth and sixth year guys making seven figures at schools that they would have never gone to in the pre-NIL era. And so this, it, we're just in this weird gray area where I don't think schools even know what is an NCAA rule anymore. And I don't think the NCAA fully understands what's going on. And it's not just me. I've talked to major college basketball coaches. I've talked to major college football coaches. I remember talking to a, 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 a power five head coach in football last summer, a, a coach at a school where they have lots of money and where the current system benefits him. And what he said is Torres, this system is crazy and this cannot keep going the way that it is. So I've gone on long enough. I've talked about five, six minutes. I've done the Torres thing where I yell and scream. But at the end of the day, you're probably wondering, okay, what happened? What do I need to know? Well, it's that on Friday, 
the Big Ten and the SEC, really the two power conferences going forward. Listen, I'm a UConn guy. Love the Big East. The ACC is cool. The Big 12 reconfigured is cool. But at the end of the day, the Big Ten and the SEC are the two big dogs in the future of college sports. They have the most money. They have the most power. They have the most consolidated talent across the board. You look at football, really, outside of Notre Dame, maybe Florida State, maybe Clemson, maybe Miami, there are all of the power football conference, all of the all of the football powers are in either the SEC or the Big Ten. Ohio State, Michigan, USC, Oregon, all in the Big Ten. Oklahoma, Texas joining Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, Texas A&M, LSU, whoever. All of the powers in those two sports. And on Friday, we got official confirmation that those two conferences are running the show going forward. And that is because I've talked long enough. Let's get to the point, Torres. Just shut up and talk. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm fired up here on a Monday morning. But on Friday, we came out with a report. We got a report that said that the Big Ten and the SEC are forming a joint advisory committee to look at the present and future of college sports, the exact quote to address the significant challenges facing college athletics. And here is the exact quote from their press release. The Big Ten and the SEC have substantial investment in the NCAA, and there is no question that the voices of our two conferences are integral to governance and other reform efforts. We recognize the similarity in our circumstances as well as the urgency to address the common challenges we face. And essentially, if you can't speak legalese, if you can't speak commissionerese, Essentially, what that means is this. Have you seen the GIF on social media? I'm the captain now. What is that from? Captain Phillips, I think. Well, that was the Big Ten, and that was the SEC basically saying, listen, going forward, we are the captain now. We're going to make the rules. We're going to make the decisions. And NCAA, if you don't like it, we don't really care because you can't play college football with us. You can't run any major sport without us. And so we are going to work and we are going to figure out what the future of college sports looks like. And I'm here to say this. If you don't like the NCAA, or if at the very least you just don't like where things are going and you wish that there was more clarification on what the heck the future of college sports looks like, I'm here to tell you this is a great piece of news. And the bottom line is this. Let's go ahead and dive in. Let me tell you what I think the next couple of years look like. And what I would say is, if, if you've listened to this show forever, I'm not Mr. Anti-NCAA. I'm not Mr. Oh my God, the NCAA is the worst. They do no right. They're a disaster. They're terrible. They're whatever. They're this, they're that. That's not who I am. I think the NCAA has largely done the best they could under the rules in which that are in place, which are put in place by the schools, the school presidents, the school ladies, the coaches. I also believe that they've done a lot of good, especially for non-revenue sports. The NCAA has given out thousands, tens of thousands of scholarships to people that otherwise could not get a college education, to tons, dozens, hundreds, thousands of athletes 
that need those educations because they're not going to, to use the old cliche, they're going professional in something other than their sport. So I'm not anti-NCAA, but what I also do believe, I'm going to get existential for a second, existential Taurus here for half a second. I do believe that sometimes in life, you just outgrow stuff, right? You outgrow a relationship. You outgrow a friendship. You outgrow a husband. You outgrow a wife. You outgrow a job. I'm sure I've told this story. When I was 16 years old, day I turned 16, walked down to the McDonald's, not in the town that I lived in, but I had a buddy whose dad managed a McDonald's two, three towns over. I wanted a job. I wanted to make my own money. I wanted to be independent. And so I went down and got a job at McDonald's. And then after about a year, two years, three years, I don't know what it was. I think it was about two years. You're getting checks. You're making minimum wage. You know, this was back in the early 2000s. You think, oh, this $180 check that I just got into the grant. I got 180 bucks. I got 180 bucks. And then after a while, you realize, wait a second now. I can keep doing this or I can get a job. And then my next job, and I know I'm going all over the place, but I'll get to the point. <laughs> Sorry. McDonald's, 180 bucks a week. Then all of a sudden, I got a buddy that works at a golf course. And I realized that I can make $100 a day. And I work five days a week. I can make $500, $600 in tips. And it's twice as much. The point I'm trying to make, at some point, at one point in my life, McDonald's was the greatest job I could ever have. And it was the dream. And it was great. And then eventually I outgrew. Then I went to work at a golf course. And then I realized I'm making 500 a week. I can make 500 a night bartending. And so the point I'm trying to make, you outgrow things as time goes on. And I haven't been anti-NCAA, but the structure of college sports has been outgrown by where we are now in college sports. We have billion-dollar TV deals in college sports right now. Billion with a B, okay? We have players that can make money off of the field. The current rule book, the previous structure was not designed for collectives and NIL and quarterbacks and point guards making 400 or 500,000 a year. It just wasn't designed for this. So I am not opposed to it. And I think this is the first way of, of, of the big 10 and the sec saying, you know what guys, we appreciate everything that you did for the last hundred years, but it's time to look forward. It's time to make rules that are currently are, are, are set up for the current structure. And that's exactly what I believe will happen. Now, what is exactly going to look like? I don't know. What I do know, a couple things. One, I do think eventually college football as a whole is going to break off from any sort of any of the other college sports. You can't compare college football, which brings in hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue every year with sports like baseball, tennis, golf. You can even say women's basketball. There's most campuses, every sport other than football and men's basketball lose money. I think I saw a stat the other day. LSU won the national championship last year in women's basketball. The program as a whole lost money. I could be a little bit off on that, but I know Ole Miss baseball lost money when they won the national championship. So why I bring it up is you can't have a billion-dollar business kind of running concurrently with basically, you know, charities for lack of a better term. 
So my guess is that college football breaks off from itself. And from there, we start to see a restructuring of the current rules. I don't know what NIL is going to look like five years from now, but I can promise you it's not going to look like this. I can promise you it's not going to be boosters having to pool money to keep a football roster together. And then, oh, by the way, on top of that, um, a player deciding, you know what? I appreciate you offering me this much, and I know that I agreed to stay, but I'm gonna. But somebody else offered me that much, and I'm gonna go over there, even though I just looked you in the eye and promised you that I was gonna stay. And so, if you just don't like the chaos of this current system, I don't think it's gonna be here very much longer. Now, I still think there's gonna be transfers. I still think you know, like there are still gonna be things. But my guess is, players, especially in football, are probably gonna be contract employees. They're probably gonna have a salary. They're probably going to have a collective bargaining. They're probably going to have a union. And it's going to look so much different than what it does. And that might sound scary, but I promise you, behind the scenes, it will be better than it is right now. It'll be better for your favorite school. Take Alabama, for example. Pretend you're an Alabama fan. Alabama, I mean, think about the guys that they lost during the, the transition to Nick Saban. Now, I'm not saying guys should have to stay if Nick Saban retires, but Isaiah Bond. He bounced basically before uh, the, Isaiah Bonds, the Alabama leading receiver. He bounced basically before Nick Saban even retired. I think it was like a day after. It was clear he was leaving. And so the point I'm trying to make is like, at least now there's going to be a structure. There's going to be something keeping players at the school. And so my guess is college football breaks off. My guess is college football becomes a for-profit business where, again, collective bargaining, um, NIL is basically a salary and you can't transfer three, four, five times. The rest of the sports, I think it's hard to say. I don't think the current NCAA tournament is going to stay as it is. I think we're going to get beyond 68 teams. I don't know if that's 72. I don't know if it's 85, whatever it is. But I think NCAA basketball is going to expand. And then I think all the other sports are going to be under their own umbrella. Really quickly, um, I remember Chip Kelly said this a few weeks ago, but he said there's no reason that college football, and he was right, there's no reason college football should be governed the way that women's softball is, the way that men's tennis is, the way that men's golf is, the way that men's wrestling is. They're, they're two completely different entities. And what he said, and I thought was interesting, he said Notre Dame is an independent in football. They can play whoever they want, make the most money, do whatever's the best for the football team. He said, but all their other sports are geographically tied to other schools in their region. That's called the ACC. So they play Syracuse and they play Pitt and they play Virginia, short plane rides, whatever. And what he said was UCLA softball should not be flying to Minnesota or Ohio State or Wisconsin or Rutgers. They should be playing Arizona and Arizona State and whoever, Utah and San Diego State. And so I'm rambling. I'm going to wrap. I want to get to college hoops, but I think this is a good thing. The SEC and the Big Ten have combined. They are together, and they are going to determine the future of college sports. It's going to take some time. It's not always going to be pretty. It's going to take whatever to figure out what the next iteration is. But I'm just here to tell you, you talk to anybody behind the scenes, administrators, coaches, GAs, whoever, it can't keep going on like this. I think this is a good thing. I'll be honest. I talked a lot in that segment. I hope that all made sense. 
this is what I do. You know what doesn't make sense? Thanks going on with Kentucky. They got destroyed by Tennessee on Saturday night. We're going to go ahead and talk about that. Talk about UConn smacking St. John's. Talk about UNC smacking Duke. Talk about Kansas smacking Houston. Take a quick break. We're going to be right back. A lot of college hoops to discuss. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. Do want to go ahead and wrap with a little bit of college hoops. Quick show today. We did obviously the NCAA stuff to open. Now I do want to go ahead and close with what was by literal definition, a historically great Saturday in college hoops. First time ever, really not just a Saturday, the, the whole weekend. First time ever, four matchups of top 10 teams on the same weekend. First time since 1994, we had three matchups of top 10 teams all on the same day on Saturday. Houston uh, going to Kansas, Carolina hosting Duke, Kentucky hosting Tennessee. And then on Sunday, we had Purdue at Wisconsin. Going to dive into all of them. But listen, first two games were really largely dominated by the home team. Kansas wins going away against Houston. Carolina wins going away against Duke. The final score makes it look a little bit more competitive than it was. So let's start with the late one, Rupp Arena. I know a lot of you, we talk a lot of Kentucky on this show, but it feels like there is always something going on with this team. They host the Tennessee Volunteers. Tennessee comes in off a loss. Kentucky comes off a loss. Rupp Arena is hopping. You think you're going to get the best effort out of Kentucky that you could possibly get? Instead, it's kind of the exact opposite. Tennessee comes out focused, ready to play, ready to go, all that good stuff. Tennessee gets the win 103-92 at Rupp Arena. And I'm here to say, Thought this was a very definitive win for both teams. Maybe a statement, or not a it's definitive win. A definitive game for both teams. think you could argue it was a statement game for both teams as well. Very positive statement for Tennessee. And what the heck is going on at Kentucky? Let's go ahead and dive in. And I do want to start with the Kentucky Wildcats. Now listen, Tennessee, we're going to get to them. They're really good. They're really good. I actually think they might be a little bit underrated on the national scale. But as I often say on this show, the more interesting story is often in the losing locker room. And that is absolutely the case for the Kentucky Wildcats. And what's frustrating, what's disappointing, I got to go ahead and own this. We talked about it in Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong on Friday's show. I, I was the guy three weeks ago saying there are three teams that are better than everybody else. UConn, Carolina, and Kentucky. Well, UConn's still good. Carolina's still good. We're going to talk about them in a minute. But Kentucky has completely fallen off a cliff. By the way, it was two weeks ago, literally two weeks ago today, I was saying I think Kentucky might be the best team in the country after that big Z debut, 13 points, throwing the ball behind his back. It looks like the Harlem Globetrotters out there, and it's been a debacle since. You lose at South Carolina. Listen, I don't think that is by any stretch a bad loss, especially given what Carolina has done as of late. Uh, you go to Rupp Arena, not really the best performance, but you find a way to win. Then you lose on Wednesday to Florida. Then you lose on Saturday at home to Tennessee. And I think what's especially frustrating is the effort that you got. You don't need me to tell you, but as I just said, at home, top 10 team in town, a rival in town, a team that your fan base cares about, cares about beating and losing to. I get that you're Kentucky. I get you want to win every game. But the Tennessee game matters, especially since Rick Barnes has gotten there. 
And historically, Tennessee, since Rick Barnes has been there, has had success against Kentucky. So you want to see a better effort. Instead, you I don't even know what that effort was, as really you basically got one you got a good game from essentially one player that was Rob Dillingham. I know it's been stated by other people in the media. If Rob Dillingham doesn't go for 35, that might be a 25-point loss. And so I want to dive in. And when I look at Kentucky, I see two major issues, one that everybody's talking about and one that I think, frankly, people aren't talking about enough. Now, the one everybody's talking about, listen, the defense, it's just not good enough. And you know I'm not the guy. I don't do scheme stuff. I don't talk about, well, on the dribble handoff, if you, you know, ice the ice the ball, it's like no, nobody cares. But at the end of the day, just look at the stat sheet, okay? I, I know analytics people get mad when you just say, look at the stat sheet, use your eyes. But that was an embarrassment of epic proportions. It's not just that you gave up 103 points to, to Tennessee. Remember, by the way, South Carolina, a team that is committed on the defensive end, gave up 59 points to Tennessee the other day in Knoxville. So Tennessee, I don't want to say essentially doubled their point total, but they kind of essentially doubled their point total. They got almost double what they got at home against South Carolina the other day. And you look at the stat sheet, the crazy part was Dalton Connect, their star, didn't even play well. If you want to give Kentucky credit for anything, they actually did a pretty good job of taking Dalton Connect out of the game plan. You know, he, he finished with a respectable stat line, but it wasn't unbelievable in this game. He was really quiet, but the problem was everybody else was awesome. Zakai Ziegler had a career-high 26 points. Josiah Jordan-James had a career-high 26 points in this game. Dalton Connect is held to 16, but it doesn't matter if literally everybody else has a career night. And if you watch the game, it's just, it's all a mess right now. It's all a mess right now. The, the, The guards can't, nobody can stay in front of them. The bigs, I thought, were miserable. Agana and Yenso, I give him credit. He had what, 13 and 15 the other night, like 13 points, 15 rebounds, eight assists or eight blocks, excuse me, something like that. He was getting bullied in the paint. He wanted nothing to do with it. There were two or three plays where Jonas Adu just kind of threw an elbow into him. He backed off and he backed down. Aaron Bradshaw, I know there was the pushing and shoving with Awaka. I actually didn't mind that because at least you're defending your teammate and you're showing a little bit of heart. But the defense was embarrassing and nobody gave any effort. It's not good enough. It's not acceptable. Tennessee is not good offensively, not good enough to make you look the way that they did. By the way, for a Tennessee fan coming across this podcast or video, I promise you I will get to your team because your team is awesome. But the defensive effort has to be better. And obviously me, like a lot of people, is sitting there saying, well, wait a second now. It's February 4th, 5th, 6th when you're listening to this. When is it going to get better? It's got to get better right now. It's getting worse instead. But you want to know, in my opinion, the real problem that Kentucky has that nobody's talking about? I mean, Calipari talked about it, but I said this on Twitter before he went to the podium on Saturday night. Kentucky needs DJ Wagner, their starting point guard, the freshman, okay? And for people who don't follow Kentucky on a day-to-day basis, listen, what I would say is, you know, statistically, he's not the best player. Antonio Reeves is whatever, da 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 da. Um, and I would add that a, even a Kentucky fan would sit there and say, Torres, we gave up 103 points. We scored 92 points. It doesn't matter if we had, you know, whatever. If we had Steph Curry, if we had whoever, we you're not going to win games when you give up 103 points. And so I get that. 
And I'm not here to say that DJ Wagner would magically wave a wand and you win that game uh, 87-72 and you get a much better defensive effort. The defense has to be better. I get all that. But when I was watching Kentucky on Saturday, I don't think that I realized how important he is to what they do and how they operate. Because when he is not in, and for people who don't know, he's been dealing with an ankle injury. It's a weird thing. Every year, Kentucky fans are getting frustrated. I understand. Feels like every year there's a weird injury that pops up out of nowhere that nobody can explain. Well, DJ Wagner played at Arkansas a few days ago, seemed to be fine. Then all of a sudden does not play on Wednesday against Florida, does not play on Saturday against Tennessee. And everyone's like, what's going on? But why this is so important to me is because when you look at DJ Wagner, he is really important to what they do. And I believe more importantly, he allows them to be the best version of themselves. And I think we saw it on Saturday night. Saturday night. So so even to backtrack, everybody makes fun of Calipari because Reed Shepard and Rob Dillingham, two likely lottery picks, are coming off the bench. That's the best version of Kentucky. I hate to tell you that because it allows Reed Shepard and Rob Dillingham to be the best versions of themselves. Reed Shepard is best when he is playing off the ball, he can create for himself, he can create for others. Now, he can play point guard, and he does it very well in six, seven, eight, eight-minute increments. What you don't want is him playing 37 minutes as your primary playmaker like he had to do on Saturday. Ideally, you want him coming off the bench. You want him to be your, your backup point guard who can also play off the ball, can still play 30 minutes, 28 minutes, whatever, but you don't want him 37 minutes as your primary playmaker. Rob Dillingham, it's the same. Listen, the 35 uh, 35 points was unbelievable. But I think even in that game, you saw Rob Dillingham, even at the college level, is not a guy that you want playing 30, 32, 34 minutes. Was really hot early in the game. Second half was not good at all for about the first eight, nine minutes. Then Kentucky falls way down. And then Dillingham is incredible again, getting bucket after bucket after bucket after bucket and making it close once again. And so when DJ Wagner is in, it allows all of the other pieces to come together. DJ Wagner is the primary playmaker. Reed Shepard comes off the bench, can be a backup point guard, can be your primary point guard when DJ Wagner's out. Rob Dillingham doesn't have to play 28, 29, 30, 32 minutes. That's not who Rob Dillingham is, and that's not what he does best. And so for Kentucky, I'm trying to be patient here. If you're watching on YouTube, you just saw my face just basically go white. But it's like, I'm trying to not overreact because Saturday was a debacle and I'm not trying to underreact either. I'm not going to try to sit here and say, everything's going to be fine. Everybody take a deep breath. You're going to be okay. We're going to win. No, it wasn't good. But I also don't know that I could fairly judge this team without all of their best players on the court at once. And I know what a Kentucky fan would say to that. Well, we haven't had the same starting or we haven't had the same. We haven't had a full complement of guys all season long. And I've actually had a, a lot of Kentucky fans ask me, is that normal? What I would say is it actually largely is UConn, my, my, my school, basically hasn't had their starting team together the entire season. Klingon was hurt early. He comes back. Steph Castle gets hurt. He comes back. Klingon gets hurt again. Klingon comes back. Alex Caraman didn't play on Saturday. So this does happen other places, but you need DJ Wagner. And so you look at the last couple of weeks. South Carolina was really bad. Tennessee was really bad. Now you were a player or two away from beating Florida. And if you win that game, maybe this feels a little bit different. But you need DJ. You need DJ Wagner. Go DJ. That's my DJ. You need him. You don't have him. 
And until I see this team with him, it's hard for me to like say the sky is falling. Now the defense needs to get much better, but at least with him in the lineup, I think the offense is a little bit better and the defense is a little bit better. And if you're a little bit better on offense and a little bit better on defense, maybe things go differently, but that was bad from Kentucky. There's another day, another time to talk about Calipari. Didn't go to the post game uh, radio, you know, requirements. It's weird. It's getting weird there. It's getting weird there. Indeed. All right, let's switch gears. I do want to talk about things from the Tennessee perspective because I don't think it's fair that we only talk about the negative of Kentucky without talking about the positive of Tennessee. And when I watch Tennessee, a couple things stand out. One, the obvious takeaway um, is the one that everybody had. Those were some grown A men going up against kids at Kentucky. And listen, I don't blame Calipari. I like the one and done model. I still think it works in this era. But you could tell, like, those Kentucky dudes, and by the way, it wasn't just the freshmen. Trey Mitchell did not play well for Kentucky. Um, Anienso, as I said, got bullied by Jonas Adu. That was boys versus men. The men won. The men shoved him around. Toby Awaka, Aaron Bradshaw, respectfully, be happy that Toby Awaka didn't get his hands on you because that might not have ended well. But anyway, let's talk about the Tennessee perspective because one, that was the big takeaway. Boys versus men, they win 103-92. But really, you know what the big story is to me? This game proves to me that I do think Tennessee is a little bit underrated nationally. And I believe, and I'm going to get criticized for saying it, and people are going to clip off this video or audio and make fun of me three, four weeks from now. I believe Tennessee is a national title contender. I really, truly do. So let's go ahead and dive in. First off, I know. Anytime I say anything nice about Tennessee, I know what I, the, the two things people are going to say. Rick Barnes stinks in the tournament, and Tennessee's never made a Final Four. I know. You don't have to tell me that Tennessee has never made a Final Four. Everybody that loves college basketball knows that, okay? But at the same time, there are a couple things that are different about this team and worth noting, okay? One, first of all, just because Tennessee has not made a Final Four doesn't mean that they're incapable of doing it. First off, by the way, let's even like crush the, the, the Rick Barnes doesn't win in March narrative. You understand two out of the last four tournaments that have been played, Tennessee was in the Sweet 16 playing to go to the Elite Eight. Lost essentially at the buzzer in 2019. Sorry, Tennessee fans don't mean to bring up salt in a wound. And then last year, without Sakai Ziegler, Hunk Duke, go to the Sweet 16, and we're a player two away from beating Florida Atlantic without their point guard to go to the Elite Eight. So stop with the Rick Barnes doesn't win in March. That's one. Two, just because something hasn't happened doesn't mean it's incapable. My buddy Josh Pate, who does great stuff on college football, CBS Sports, 24-7 Sports, he says this all the time. Just because something hasn't happened doesn't mean that it can't happen. And that is absolutely the case with Tennessee basketball. Just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean that it can't. There are certain things that will never happen that can't happen, okay? I don't think Washington State is ever winning a national championship in football. I don't think Purdue is ever winning a national championship in football. Purdue basketball, we'll discuss another time. Um, but Tennessee basketball, with the resources, the coach, the conference, the team that they have this year, they're capable. Will they? I don't know. But can they? Absolutely. And what stands out to me about this team, this team is different than all of the other Tennessee teams before it. One, you know the name, Dalton Connect. And the crazy part, Dalton Connect, as I just said, did not play well against Kentucky. 
Finished with 16 points. Poor guy. What an awful night. I'd love to drop 16 in the, in the SEC on the road, but that's a disappointing night for him. But first off, we saw on Saturday other guys can step up. Now, part of that was the Kentucky defense. But Dalton Connect alone makes this team different. We've all watched Tennessee. There have been years. They play rock fights. If they can't beat you 68 to 64, they cannot win. By the way, what was the best version of Tennessee? I would argue maybe two years ago when they won the SEC tournament, they had Kennedy Chandler. They could win high scoring. They could win low scoring. Didn't work out, but didn't mean they were incapable of doing it. And this team can do that. But once you get past even Dalton Connect, they have all the other pieces, the things that we always talk about you need in March. Veteran guards. Sakai Ziegler's been around forever. Santiago Vescovi and uh, Josiah Jordan-James have definitely been around forever. Veteran guard play. Veterans in general. And it's crazy about Tennessee, too. I don't think people realize. I would argue, you know, there, there's a few teams that really don't have a ton of weaknesses. UConn's one. I think Carolina's one. Tennessee is Tennessee really, outside of having that consistent second score, really doesn't have a ton of weaknesses, okay? Working on kind of a big project, College Hoops project, hope to drop around March. But in doing so, I've been kind of just doing some deep dives on some of these teams, you know, Kentucky, UConn, whoever, blah, 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 whatever. And I was looking at some numbers on Tennessee the other day. They basically do everything at an elite level other than score the basketball. And the scoring's way up. They're obviously a great defensive team. They rebound the ball really well. They defend the rim pretty well. They're a pretty good, not great three-point shooting team. So you look at what they do and what they don't do well. Like some teams have very glaring weaknesses. Kentucky can't get stops. Um, You know, I don't know. I can't think of other teams off the top of my head. Like whatever, Houston, is the offense good enough? Kansas, is their depth? Tennessee doesn't have that super huge, obvious weakness. And so to me, I, I just think this was an important game for them. They struggled kind of in that Maui early part of the season. Now, part of it was Purdue and Zach Eady. We know how that went. Lose at Carolina, but they've been pretty lights out since. Okay, they lost at Mississippi State. That's a tournament team. They lost at South Carolina. Okay, that's a tournament team. But does this team have the pieces to make a run? I think they do. And I think they showed it Saturday at Rupp Arena. By the way, shame on me. I don't know how I thought Kentucky was going to beat that Tennessee team on that night. I picked Tennessee to, to lose that game. Tennessee's really good. I know Alabama is atop the SEC standings. I don't know if we'll talk about them today, but I think Tennessee is probably the best team and best built team right now in the SEC. Let's get to some of the other results in college hoops. Um, and I want to do something weird because, as I said, there were two other top five, top ten matchups on Saturday. Kansas at Houston. We'll bury that one at the end. I want to put two weird games that you wouldn't think I'd put together together in this spot. I want to put UConn, number one team in the country, playing at St. John's, which is kind of like a fringe tournament team. And I want to talk about them in comparison with number three, North Carolina, who beat Duke at home. Now, from the UConn perspective, I will say this. Now, UConn in the out-of-conference, they beat North Carolina. They beat Gonzaga in Seattle. They had a couple other really nice wins. I think you could argue Saturday for the Huskies was the best win UConn has had all year. Because context matters. By the way, we talked about it last week with Dan freaking Campbell. Context matters in all of sports. And you look at this UConn team, okay? 
Here's the context of what happened on Saturday. They are playing without one of their best players, Alex Caravan. They're at MSG, which is kind of a neutral-ish court. They bring a lot of fans. But St. John's gave them fits the first time these two teams played in Hartford and could have won that game. Rick Pitino is kind of poking the bear in the media, and you kind of think like, okay, St. John's is kind of, are they under UConn's skin, whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no. UConn punked them at Madison Square Garden. And why I want to talk about UConn is this. I was so impressed, and I continue to be so impressed, and I've talked about this with UConn, but their ability to, what makes them so incredible, they have so many guys that can beat you on any given night. They're getting better. I don't think we've seen the best version of them, but it is their ability to continue to put pressure, continue to make them play your game, and continue to outplay. And what stood out to me about the UConn-St. John's game, okay, this was unbelievable. It was a close game for people who were not watching. St. John's was up 46 to 45 with 11 minutes to go at Madison Square Garden. MSG's going crazy, a lot of blue, a lot of red, whatever. And from there, UConn was just like, yeah, we're not losing this game. And then just destroyed them from there. They went on a 5-0 run. They went on a 17-6 run from there. And you look up and there's like four minutes to go and the game is completely over. And what was incredible to me, Rick Pitino, Rick, this is what was incredible. Rick Pitino's teams historically play as hard as anyone in college basketball. Now, he said after the game, oh, we can't build a culture in this year or whatever. Blah, blah. Rick Pitino's going to be fine. He's a genius, okay? Why I bring it up is because Rick Pitino's teams play as hard as anybody in college basketball. Well, you can like Rick Pitino, not like him. Louisville, whatever he did, restaurants, whatever. But his teams play so freaking hard. And for about an eight-minute stretch, UConn just, every single guy on the floor completely outplayed him. Every loose ball, UConn's diving, throwing elbows. Every rebound, you got UConn's guard, 6-1, going in, grabbing offensive rebounds. And it was like every single play. For like eight straight minutes, UConn just bullied the absolute crap out of them. And so I give UConn so much credit because it's just like, it is just unbelievable what this team does on a night-in, night-out basis. This was a game without a starter. You're on a ten, a nine-game winning streak coming in. This a team that gave you trouble previously. It feels like a spot where you can lose. Instead, you win by thirteen. You out rebound them by fifteen. You go on the road, signature win. And the crazy part with UConn, they keep getting better. That's the scary part, right? We just talked about it with Kentucky with injuries. UConn really hasn't had their full complement of guys essentially all season. Donovan Klingon hurt early, then comes back. Then Steph Castle gets hurt. Then he comes back. Then Klingon goes down again. Now Alex Caravan's banged up. And somebody just steps up every night. I think this is the scary part. Steph Castle, their true freshman, 21 points, two threes on Saturday. That is a guy that probably has as much upside as anyone on that roster. And he was not playing well until this game. So UConn gets the win against St. John's. But I want to juxtapose it. Is that the right way to say it? Juxtapose it with North Carolina. Because as I watched North Carolina a few hours after UConn, something really did strike me. I think UConn is the number one team in the country, no doubt. And it, I, I think it's hard to argue for anybody else. But I think North Carolina is probably number two as they get a 93-84 win over Duke. And bluntly, this game was not as close as the final score would indicate. What stood out to me about Carolina is a few things. One, this is kind of like what I just said about Tennessee with Dalton Connect. 
With Tennessee and Dalton Connect, you wondered, okay, if Dalton Connect doesn't go crazy, can Tennessee beat good teams? Well, they were fine. But Duke and Carolina, Carolina has a guard named R.J. Davis who's playing at an All-American level all season long. Well, he had a very good, respectable 17-point performance on Saturday against Duke. But for the most part, he did not play that well at all, if we're being perfectly honest. Instead, Armando Baycott, 25 points, 10 boards, 5 assists, and what was his best game in a long time. This is a guy, veteran guy, fifth-year guy, part of that Final Four team a few years ago. He'd been struggling, comes back, has a great performance, and then I thought the breakout star, Harrison Ingram, the transfer from Stanford, finished with 21 points, 13 boards, 5 of 9 from 3, and 4 steals. And we know what really stood out to be about him. He was a guy, if you listen to this show in April, we do a lot of portal stuff. I think we do the college hoops portal as well as anybody in the media. And we did multiple videos on Harrison Ingram. This guy is good. This guy is this. This guy was recruited by Kansas and Kentucky and whatever. Well, it took a minute, but he had his breakout performance against Duke. 21 points, five threes, four steals. Unbelievable. And why I want to put juxtapose, I can't say that word, UConn and Carolina back-to-back is for a simple reason. It is because I believe that if we're saying UConn is definitively number one, listen, Purdue has an argument. Houston, even with the loss, has an argument. I think Carolina is number two. But I also think, along with UConn, their pieces all fit together so well. I was watching this team. First of all, elite offensively, elite defensively. Defensively, that has historically been their problem. They are not great in the Hubert Davis and even going back to the Roy Williams era. Well, they are great, and they are they are doing it in a season where they're also averaging 83 points per game. So they're elite defensively, elite offensively, but all the pieces fit so well. Baycott down low. Four guards that can all pass, dribble, shoot, do whatever. As a team this year, they are shooting 35.5% from three. Harrison Ingram, as I said, playing like an NBA player. This was a McDonald's All-American coming out of high school, went to Stanford, averaging 12.5 points, 41% from three, playing like an NBA player. Poor Mac Ryan, transferred from Notre Dame, shot the crap out of the ball on Saturday and has been playing much better after struggling early. And so I just bring it up to say, I think right now UConn's number one, but I think Carolina's right there, Tennessee's there, Houston's there, whatever. But let's give Carolina their flowers, man. They are playing as well as anybody. Really quickly, the other results from the weekend. Not going to spend too much time. You know, Houston loses at Kansas. Maybe there's some incredible, you know, takeaway from it. My big thing is, what did I tell you after I did my first trip to Fog Allen Fieldhouse in December? I said, I don't know how anybody wins there. Because one, Kansas is always really good. Bill Self is probably the best coach in the sport. But that place is so tough to play in. Um, It's loud. It's hot. The fans are right on top of you. And it's not like Cameron Indoor that had seats like eight, 9,000. Fog Allen seats like 16,000, and they're all just right on top of you. And so I just bring it up because, like, I don't know how anybody wins there. And when I saw they were a slight home underdog, it's like, they're not losing that game. Are you kidding me? They don't. They dominate. Houston, you know, listen, I there's not like some crazy take. I will say one in three in true road games this year, the only win in overtime to Texas last week. I think Houston's good. The analytics love them. 
don't think they're probably as good as everybody thinks. They're a really good team. I don't think they're that great. Then Sunday, you know, listen, credit. I've crushed Purdue, crushed Purdue pretty regularly, but they go on the road, get the win at Wisconsin, 75 to 69. Close game, but I think the story here was, listen, foul discrepancy. Purdue was only plus nine at the foul line after being plus 38 against Northwestern. Figured this game would be close, figured it'd be competitive. Did not think the refs would uh, do what they did on, on Wednesday at Purdue, but Purdue does get the win. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. Loaded, quick but efficient but loaded Monday morning show. If you're not subscribed to the show, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. Your boy Torres. I got to roll. Shout out to Tor Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick. You F at Unblock Me, bro. I'll be back on Wednesday. New episode. Aaron Torres